What's going on you rogues, rebels, rapscallions and renegades, welcome to a brand new episode of the Rogue Country Podcast. I am Mike West and today we have the legendary Chris Dover on. We're going to get into his album but first let's talk about some things. The response for the Ags Connolly episode which dropped two weeks ago has been phenomenal and you can still back his Kickstarter. He's got five grand left to make for the next 20 odd days and we need you to go back it go listen to the previous episode with ags where we get into the kickstarter his future music and his amazing plans there is a link for the kickstarter in those i will drop another link in this one as well as just because i truly believe in ags and think this record should get made and we need your support to make it happen Chris Dover is on the show today. He is a phenomenal musician. I've been lucky enough to call a friend. We met over the pandemic online. We get into it in the episode. And he's a great guy. I've got to do a few shows with him. And in October, me, Chris, Josh Bettis, Cold Hands, Ashley Harding, and Jody Davis from Fargo Railroad are hitting the road for a mini, quick, super quick three-day tour on October the 14th, 15th, and 16th. That's October the 14th in Nottingham, October 15th in Sheffield, and October 16th in Bradford. Joining us on October 14th in Nottingham is Cold Hands and Ashley Harding with myself and Chris. Jody has had to drop out over that date because of him opening for Hazy Dixie with Fargo Railroad Company, which is going to be a phenomenal show down in London. But yeah, we've got Nottingham with us. Then in Sheffield on Saturday the 15th of October, Jody is joining us, so it's myself, Jody, Chris, and Josh Bettis. And then in Bradford on the 16th, we've got myself, Chris, and Jody. This is a little three day run that I cannot be more excited to play with these guys. You know, they're my mates. It's going to be an amazing thing. I'm just a fan of this, so I can't wait to just sit on stage and listen to these songs and stories. So get your tickets for the Rogues in the Rounds. Sheffield, it's £10. And for Nottingham and Bradford, it's completely free entry. So the only reason you don't have to go is because you don't like us. Also coming up, Nick Shoulders and Grave Dancer are touring across the UK in November. Tour dates are available now on their profiles. And I am opening for them at the York in Bolton. And not only am I opening for them, Josh Bettis is opening for them as well in Swansea in the bunkhouse. And it's going to be phenomenal. So get your tickets now for what is going to be one of the most amazing tours to hit the UK shores in a while. Nick is completely underrated over in the UK and he should be playing massive venues, but he isn't for this tour only. I know he's going to blow up after this, so you need to get your tickets. Chris Dover released his album, It's a Difficult World, this year, and he's going to be creating new music that will be out next year. He's a phenomenal songwriter. I don't call him the UK's Guy Clark lightly. I truly believe that. And this was an amazing conversation with someone that was well overdue. So without further ado, this is Episode 53 of the Rogue Country Podcast with Mike West and Chris Dover. <laughs> What's that? Ah, uh, there we go. Yeah, so I, I can't record you sneakily and, you know, publish it without anyone's consent. Do it's people like, do that shit? It, well, I'm, I'm sure they do. Yeah, like Josh says, if there's a warning on something, it's because people have done it, so... Someone at some point has recorded someone through Zoom and it's been a nefarious thing. That's fucking appalling. People, people suck. <laughs> There's always an abuse of technology, but that leads me on to perfectly. Is it a difficult world, Chris? Uh, fucking hell. That's heavy, <laughs> That's heavy to start with. Um, no, you've caught me in a really positive time. I'm like, I'm, I'm like weirdly in a really positive place at the minute. So yeah. when I wrote that song, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's bad. How, how much depth do you want to go into about what? We've got, we've got, we've got an hour, man. You said yeah. you don't know what we're going to talk about. That's why I opened with this conversation because we could easily fill a day on this topic. Yeah, <laughs> I think it, dep- it depends what context you're, you're asking. Uh, I think I wrote the song about um, my difficulty in terms of trying to find my way kind of in the Americana scene in this country, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Yeah. Um, and also a little bit of the kind of the way we're expected to create content and promote things in the way we are. And mm-hmm. there's like a, almost a status quo of how you're supposed to do releases and things like that, which I've never never really got on board with so yeah but in in general i don't think it's a difficult world like sam in quite a positive space at the minute so yeah 
No, sick man. We'll get back to because I want to know more about your positive space. But I think, especially what you're talking about, like with the creation of content and the release schedule, especially, there's been stuff I've been watching where you know the industry standard of you like you release on Fridays and shit. What's the point at our level and at an independent musician's level? You should be doing the opposite of what the industry is doing in terms of releasing music because there's no way you can. Like like today, what we, we we talked about this before. You've got Nikki Lane's new albums just come out, Jason D. West, mm-hmm. um, however many other albums have just come out on Friday. Yeah. Release on a Wednesday, release mm-hmm. on a Tuesday. If you've got a small enough audience that they're gonna listen to it anyway, release on a different day. That's it. I think I think Banjo Jen did that with Eric, if I remember rightly. The mm. latest one she dropped on a Thursday or something. Yeah, but I just yeah, it's like like you said. I think it's being realistic with. Who is it you're aiming at? Yeah. You know? Because it's like, for me, I'm not looking to get the... uh, Yeah, you're not fighting for a Rolling Stone cover. Exactly. It's like, I'm kind of going, well, actually, the people that are into my music, I know will check it out regardless. So I say that I did release my album on on a Friday. But yeah, now now I'm kind of thinking about it. You're absolutely right that at the level we're at, it's Mm -hmm. like your fans are going to listen to it anyway, you know? So... And that's yeah, I suppose that whole construct of how to release and stuff just to get numbers on your Spotify playlists and 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 chart placements and and things to talk about, which I, I get the chart placement thing gives you more content to talk about. I have no issue with anyone that pursues that avenue. There's extra promo in the end of the day if that if that's what you want to do. But I just for me, it's what are you doing it for? Because yeah. like for me, I'm doing it just to put my songs out um, and. You know, I'm quite comfortable with my place in the world these days. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm, I'm quite comfortable with, you know, I play with and I'm friends with the artists that I want to be mm-hmm. associated with. And I kind of try not to let the negative aspects kind of creep in, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think my attitude to the music industry is the kind of the same attitude I have to the entire universe. Where, you know, there's that saying where in one pocket you're meant to have a piece of paper that says, I'm a speck of dust. And in the other pocket, you're meant to have a piece of paper that says, I'm the center of the universe. And mm-hmm. it's meant to be, you know, in which situation, which bit of paper to read to remind yourself with. And to think that the universe or the music industry or whatever pond you're swimming in gives a fuck about you mm-hmm. at any point. Is... It's funny. It was funny. I was having this conversation. I was doing a, a session with Jackson Lake yesterday, mm. doing some guitar for him, and I was having this conversation uh, about kind of the amount of work he puts into what you know what he does, and that so he does you know do the the chat thing and the promo thing. But I, I came across a bit of a realization with him when I said, "Well, at the point, I literally went, okay, I don't fucking care about." jumping through the hoops anymore i don't i'm i'm quite happy where i am i just want to put my songs out into the world and kind of if they're good enough they'll get where i always say to my missus they'll they'll get where they're supposed to be whether that's now or in 20 30 years from now or whatever they'll be out in the world and that's kind of write my songs put them out and people that like them get on board with them and people that don't that's fine go find something else to listen to you know I, i don't take it personally if you're not into what i do but it's funny since i started adopting that I've had more gigs this yeah. year. I've had I've probably made more money from shows this year because I've just got this mindset of I try and surround myself with like-minded people, with with people that care about the songs because that, in the end of the day, is the most important thing to me. Um, and since doing that, I seem to have had subsequently more success mm. or certainly of the level that I'm at, feel more successful, like mm. I'm accomplishing more. Uh, than I ever did before when I actually tried to play the game and, and tried to do you know do the things that were expected. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. No, totally, man. That's like what I was like saying was like you know when you realize that it, they don't give a fuck about you, mm. you're like, well, why do I give a fuck about them? That's why I've never paid for the chart and thing as part of your distribution. Yeah. Never paid for that because I'm like I'm not wasting. I think it's like thirty quid or seventy quid, depending on how close you are to releasing. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's the fucking, that's a sale of an LP or whatever, man. I'm not wasting that to go do that. I get if someone yeah. wants to brag about selling 14 copies to get to iTunes number one or whatever the fuck it is. But that is, that's, that's one of those things that, yeah, I, I 
won't do it because I just don't. I'm not that over the top promo guy. I'm not mm. the number. The numbers on things like that don't bother me that much. Um, I don't feel I need them to validate what I'm mm. putting out. Um, that's probably a wrong way to phrase it, but I don't. I don't feel that it's necessary to me in the way I release. Um, but for the people that do do that stuff, it, it still it's giving them more content. It's giving them more things to share. It's I un, I understand it in some senses, mm. um, but it just yeah, it's one of those things I know for me and, and, and for you and the other guys you know that we we talk to and stuff that that I think all of us are in the same mindset where it's like we just kind of we don't need it. Yeah, if you don't need it, what's what's the point in in wasting any money or time on it? You know. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's the industry and especially in the small country scene we have in the UK, there is like that game and that machine that's in place that a lot of people do play and seem to do quite well, but there's an eventual plateau. What Mm. I kind of think is there are other ways to use their kind of structure and the music industry structure of how you advertise, how you promote yourself and actually find a niche things. And that's what I've really found with like the dark country and metafolk scene and all that shit is there are ways to kind of co-opt that way of thinking and advertise and reach new people. And that's where I find the most interesting thing of when I'm creating promotions and creating adverts and stuff, because I do want to reach as many people who I think will give a yeah. fuck as possible. Like I did that um, Kickstarter last year where, um, or was it this year, um, with Mothman. And I just yeah did it with a Kickstarter of a guy who was releasing a Mothman comic. So I'm like, fucking sound, but you wouldn't think to do that in the industry or in the like ladder of success that people like try think, and force them to. That's, that's the important thing. I think rather than just having, and this comes back to my, my comments on having a bit more of a positive mental attitude at the minute with these things is I think you should be constantly trying to learn from anything that's put in front of you. So mm. even if it's not, you know, it can be an artist or a musician or whatever that you're not a fan of, but they might do something that, you know, sparks an idea in your head that works perfectly with what mm. you're doing. And it's like, rather than just dismissing everything that's out there because it's pop or because it's this or because it's whatever, do you know what I mean? Mm. I think the, the and I, I, I'm guessing it's a getting old thing. Uh, as I've got older, I've kind of, I remember 18 year old me going, if it's not metal, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. You know, everything is like pure, you know, it has to be my metal that I like and that's it. And it's funny, the older I've got, the more I'm like, oh, yeah, hip-hop, I'll have a listen to yeah. that. Oh, yeah. Because the funny thing with a lot of hip-hop stuff and part of my kind of other job other than being a musician is obviously, as you know, working with a venue uh, and getting the young hip-hop kids through, what they sing about is 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 folk music. Mm. It, it, I might not like the way it's presented, but if you listen to the stories and you listen to the thing, they're talking about their lives. It's, yeah. it's, it's more real than 90% of metal bands I get through the venue not slighting on anyone but you know I I believe in what those kids are saying more than I do the bands that probably sonically sound more like the kind of thing I like to listen to you know Uh, so I think that kind of being open-minded to listen to a bit of everything Mm. I think and learn from everything whether it be on the music side or the promo side I think is a really important thing like I said I don't know if that's just me getting old and mellow but uh, but I I think I always kind of think it's you get to a point where you don't let your ego dictate your enjoyment. Yeah. And because I was the same when I was a kid, it was like, if it's not fucking brutal, I'm not listening to it. I remember, like, because I remember I saw Lama God headline, headline Bloodstock this year, and I fucking mm. love Lama God. I didn't listen to them for like five years once because Metal Hammer said they were the new Pantera. And I was like, how fucking <laughs> are you? And dug in my heels and was like, I'm not fucking listening to these people. Yeah, <laughs> just because I was a fucking ignorant kid, but I've like I love you know like rap and hip hop and stuff, so I've always kind of tried to have that. But then it's not trying to you know slag off other people's shit or be like this is the only thing to listen to. And it is like a really open minded, free thing. And I do think it is because especially when you're a kid, you have that kind of like you're forming your own identity, and you can't you know, fuck with that in any way, shape or form because that's who yeah. you are and you can't admit to like other things because then, well, who are you? And as you get older, your ego's kind of like, I don't give a fuck anymore. Yeah. I'm going to enjoy what I want to enjoy. And it's letting that ego get out of the way your own enjoyment. Yeah, I'd agree. I think, that, yeah, when I was younger, 
because bear in mind, I didn't start singing until I was like in my early 30s. Uh, really, like as in singing like I do nowadays. Mm. Uh, I was always, I just wanted to be Slash, I wanted to be a guitar player, you know, that's that's what I yeah. did. All the bands I was in, I was a guitar player. So um, I used to watch all these guys, like somebody like Zach Wilde, perfect mm. example. I, I always loved his playing, loved his music, like early days. And, and, you know, all I aspired to be as a guitar player was like Zach Wilde. And I remember I sat down with one, one of my friends, uh, Lee, who is, uh, he's a hip hop musician. And I was kind of working some session stuff with him. And I played him a video of him. There's an acoustic performance of him doing Machine Gun Man, mm. which I don't know if you know that tune from the Pride and Glory record yeah. from an MTV show. And I always watched this performance when I was younger and thought, oh, my God, this is the most amazing thing ever. Look look at how, how awesome this is, the guitar playing, the song, everything about it. And Lee, I showed him it. And I remember him doing that thing where he kind of, he had this face where he could tell how much I was enjoying it, but it just, he it didn't register with him at all, yeah. and he was he he's open minded to all genres of music as well. But he said to me, he said, "I just don't believe the fucking word he's saying though." Mm. And I like, I was like, "What do you mean?" And I was like, "Well, watch it. It's like it's an act. It's it's acting. It's not it's not him. He's not you know he's not writing this from a point of experience or whatever." And I could have kicked him in the face at the time because he ruined <laughs> my love for Zach Wilde in one fell swoop. But he was right. Yeah. And subsequently, what I found, and I, as I became a songwriter after that conversation, you know, and started to actually write my own songs and stuff, and it's like, it's true. It's the, the artists that now connect and, and resonate with me are the people where I believe what they're singing. Yeah. You know, I, I believe it's come from a, 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 there's a personal experience element to it. Um, or a genuine love of the subject matter that you're yeah. writing. I think it doesn't always have to be your life, although a lot of my songs are autobiographical in that sense. But, you know, you can still write about other things, but it has to be that you're writing from it in a in a personal sense. Yeah, you're, in, you in know, an earnest sense. And that, yeah. you know, I, I totally get that, especially with where like you, Zach Wilde's words. You know, you've actually put the time in research what it is you're writing about. You've got the the the, the facts right of why you want to write that song. Mm. Uh, and still, you know, adds that extra layer. And I think for me, I've just got to that point now where that's the kind of artist that tends to resonate with me is where I actually believe them. Yeah. Uh, and the ones where it feels like an act. They can be amazing performers. Like I, I've seen some incredible performers, but actually when I stop and, and listen to what they're doing, mm. I just kind of got, just don't believe it. It's like you're playing a character. You're playing, yeah. you know, and I, I just, I've never got on board with that. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah. totally. I, like that, I think also goes back to the creation of, like, I don't like using the word content because that sounds like it's something separate to, like, the art that you're making when I think that the content, for lack of a better word, it's meant to be, like, an extension of the thing. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of, like, our conversations and a lot of what people don't like about people's marketing and stuff is how insincere yeah. and in earnest it is when, if you see something that comes from an actual place of, this is my song that I really like, this is why I think you should listen to it and doing something yeah. around that. I think they always resonate and do better, but a lot of people miss the mark and think I need to just create something of a spectacle. I like, it opposed... when, I like it when the content, if you will, is, is almost a little goofy. Yeah. It's like, it should be the Bettis and his TikTok is a perfect example. You know what I mean? The, the, there's stuff mixed in there with his music and, yeah. and the, the, you know, the more straight laced pose. It's kind of got a goofy edge to it. Um, as likewise, the, nothing should be too serious. It yeah. is a natural extension of what you're doing. Mm. Uh, and like for me, I won't force myself to try and make that stuff just because if I'm, if I'm forcing myself, then it's not natural and yeah. therefore it's not me. Mm. So I kind of, I understand I should be busier on a promo front, but at the same time, I'm my, my own worst enemy because I do that thing where I question myself and go, yeah. well, you're making it for the wrong reasons, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
yes, you want to make promo, but you want to make promo in, in, in a sense that is natural to you and feels comfortable. Mm. So if you, like for you, you enjoy making the promo stuff. I know you do. Yeah. Um, so it's natural and therefore it comes across as natural and it don't come across as like you're literally trying to shill everything. Yeah. But you can wind that stuff in there with it all. It still feels natural, makes people aware of what you're doing, what you've got available. Um, that's how it should be done in my head. Mm. For me, it's I'd, I think at the moment I started trying to think about the content too much in that sense. I would be being the thing that I don't think I am. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, totally, uh, man. I, my mental approach to how I create stuff and present myself is would I say it on stage? And then that t- like helps me tie it into like the overall, you know, like the gig, the overall music, how it presents live, which I think live is the main focus as it always should be is this, yeah. these songs are written to be set, like done live. And, you know, in between each song, you tell stories and stuff. And it's with that what can I do online that is an extension of those stories so that's why like last night I pulled up a picture of my car because I talk about them on stage shit yeah. like that where it's like it's it's easy for me to get into that headspace because it is just kind of well what would I say when I'm gigging yeah and I think I think that's it it's stuff like that and I think I think not long after that I actually posted a picture of my cats as well. yeah <laughs> but it's like that that is like that wasn't a contrived thinking, oh, I need to post some content so I'll come up with something. That was my missus had posted that picture. And I was just like, this is literally what faces me every morning when I have a coffee. Do you know what I mean? And it's giving <laughs> those little little windows. Yeah. That do then start conversations with the people that pay attention to to what you're putting out there, you know, and it's it's posts like that are like it feels natural. Yeah. You know? Um much in the much in the same with with my songwriters and and stuff that I like it, it as long as it feels like it's actually yeah. you and I'm kind of getting the truth in, yeah. in that element not to be too kind of I'm not super super serious about this shit you know what I mean we, mm. you can have fun as well but yeah but you've got to uh, have like a level of integrity to it you don't want to just like go overboard with it no I get it yeah yeah and I think uh, I just think it, it should be a natural extension of, of yeah. your personality you know yeah it uh, shouldn't be you trying to force an aspect of your personality that doesn't actually exist yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i think that's that's the key thing is trying because people tend to recognize kind of I hate the phrase but recognize real they, mm. they recognize you know people that are being themselves and you know i always use every, everything goes back to pro wrestling for me and it's like <laughs> if you look at the characters that got the biggest you know be it a uh, stone called steve austin or the rock they were just amped up versions of themselves yeah. and that's how they became huge stars you know what i mean because mm. people identify with that stuff and that's how it should be it's like in, in my head that's how it should be <laughs> yeah no totally man well let's Zoom back, we'll get to difficult world and what we're planning for this year. But let's zoom right back 60 years ago when you were a kid. 60 years? <laughs> Cheeky bastard. <laughs> Fucking feel it. <laughs> what was it that made you like want to pick up a guitar? What was it you were listening to when you started becoming like musically? Uh, first time I saw uh, Ed Sullivan's show with, with Elvis Nam. <laughs> um, like first picked up a guitar because of Oasis, really. Mm. I kind of like, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> because it's for a, a kid growing up on a council estate in the north of England in the you know early nineties, mid nineties. They were the you know the older kids you'd see uh, at the pub on a yeah. weekend, but with guitars mm. and. Uh, and I still, I still rate Noel Gallagher as a songwriter. I, I always will. Like some, some of his rhymes are a bit rudimentary and stuff. But you know, he's not Towns Van Zandt. But at the same time, um, yeah, I would never have picked up a guitar if it wasn't for them. Mm. And then I know you'll hate this, but then the Beatles as well. By uh, yeah, because my my, and then like my my dad was a huge Johnny Cash fan, Roy Orbison yeah. fan. So that was always playing around the house. Um. I remember on the day I bought definitely maybe. I also bought a Jimi Hendrix record, nice. uh, which was kind of where my love for guitar playing and mm. stuff came from. Um, 
so my mum was in a Hendrix, and my mum was in a Beatles and and Eurythmics and and mm. you know decent kind of long lasting great songwriters, but more of that pop and rock kind of thing. Um, and I probably got into blues before I did country, to be honest. Yeah, same. Um, that my uh, my granddad, I was doing so it had been when I was like in my teen years, and I was going to a music course someplace, and uh, my granddad came and picked me up one night. And when we were in in the in the car, he put the Radio Two Blues show or whatever it was on at the time, um, and just I remember listening to that, going, "I really like this." And then, you know, then looking deeper into my mum's kind of tapes and stuff, she used to listen to in kitchen. She had mm. like Blues Brothers, so Blues Brothers, you know, I loved that soundtrack, loved that film. Just yeah. watched it with my kids this week. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they didn't give a shit, but I loved it. Was, <laughs> that, the, was that the first time they were watching it? Yeah, uh, yeah, and they were just they, like they made me watch some right crap. So I, that was just <laughs> like, you know what? It's my turn. Because the last one they made me watch was Hairspray, and I was like, "This is a musical, right? I've got a musical for you." Let's, let's <laughs> it didn't really land, but I'll try again when they're a bit yeah. older. Uh, but yeah, my mum had like Blues Brothers. She had um, was it Bessie Smith? She had a Bessie Smith nice. record, uh, and. Uh, yeah, I just remember kind of listening to that kind of stuff and then digging out vinyls. We had a record player as well, and they had like Fats Domino and, and Chuck Berry and, and um, like the Elvis 56 sessions mm. and, and stuff like that on vinyl, which I, I now have adopted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, just ris- listening to all that kind of stuff. And then I, I realized, actually, my first introduction to country music was... My nana used to list CMT when we oh, used yeah. to get it. Yeah, so like when I that would have predated all of that stuff. But like when I was like twelve, you know, eleven, twelve, mm. and going around her house, she used to always have CMT on. She loved like you know the fucking Gas Brooks and all that that mm. kind of style stuff. Read with McIntyre, and um, so I suppose that was in there as well somewhere. Mm. Uh, but yeah, Oasis was the reason I, I started. And then just kind of developed on from there. And then blues kind of just everything that I've ever done has always had some blues in it. So it's certainly as a guitar player, I kind of went through the whole, you know, studying Clapton and Jimmy Page and, and all those guys. Cause as I say, I was just a guitar player up yeah. until like my late late twenties, really. Um and then yeah, it was only it was only when I started my band Hoodoo Operators that I really started to sing properly. I'd sung in covers bands and stuff before, but actually singing my own songs and stuff yeah. that started around when I started doing the Hoodoo Operators. That would have been about 2014, 15. Mm. And was there a reason behind like because I remember like I was a guitarist like for a long time, and then it was literally there wasn't a singer, and I was like, well, fuck it, I'll do. Yeah. Was it that kind yeah. of just by necessity? So Basically, when at the point I I joined the band that became Hoodoo Operators, I was I just had my second kid. I was doing a day job where I just promoted to manager and stuff, and I'd literally got to the point where I wasn't playing barely any gigs. Mm. I'd almost given up on music. Uh, I just played for fun. Uh, my mate said, "I'm starting this little acoustic band. I'm going to sing. Uh, do you want to do something in it?" And I just bought a lap steel. So I went, yeah, I'll play, I'll play a little bit of lap steel, but I can only probably do, you know, once every other week or whatever. Mm. Um, and I started going up and playing lap steel, and it was fun. And we, we, you know, we used to sit around and get drunk, and 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 basically we rehearsed above a conservative club, mm. even though none of us were conservatives. <laughs> Actually, I was at the time, but that's another story for another time. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we uh, we sat around, we kind of we just played his songs, and I played lap steel, and then. Um, he stopped turning up to rehearsals <laughs> and the rest of us were still getting together and having a drink and stuff but we obviously didn't know what we were meant to be playing without his songs So, he, and he sent one of the guys a message saying why don't you see you guys see if you can write something and I was like well I, I wrote a couple of songs and I was like well let's have a go at this I'll sing it and just kind of sung mm. um, and the whole band just kind of fell out of that literally three months later we were playing his first gig uh, i think the second gig we then had like a, a local label interested in working with us mm. 
because the Resonator player in the band had worked at a studio and had access for free recording time and stuff, we all, by the point we released our first thing, we already had three EPs ready to go. Mm. Um, and it just all like, and that's where I started to become a singer and a performer through that band. Also, subsequently at the time, I, I ended up landing a really sweet session gig, mm. which actually meant I could go and do music full time for three years. Um, so I toured all over Europe doing that, but I'm in between sick. the tours and stuff I was doing, I then was coming home, and obviously I was writing while I was on the road and 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 stuff. Um, what what did that involve? Who were you sessioning with? So I, I played with Maxi Jazz from Faithless. So he had mm. a, a side project called Maxi Jazz and the E Type Boys. Um, so between 2015 and late 17 uh i was just out and touring place like guitar for him I'm sick. So, like kind of funky kind of blues jazz rock stuff but he was cool because he gave me so many opportunities and met loads of people you know um and actually realized that i could make a living from music as well at that point um and then the last tour we did with with that was like december i want to say december 2017 maybe mm. I've been 18, no, 17 it was. And then I came back home and uh, I think like a lot of kind of session musicians had gone from playing. So the last tour I did was arenas and I was broke within a month mm. and had no other work. And, you know, by, by the April of that year, I was trying to do, I tried to do the kind of the covers pub musician thing, but it was just absolutely killing me. Yeah, and, just soul destroying. Yeah, and just mentally just, killed me off and um and then at that around that same time me and the hoodoo operators guys kind of got to a point where things just weren't working we weren't really on the same page with what we were trying to do Mm. Um, and it just kind of fell apart so all that happened kind of at the same time um and i was just kind of at that point feeling sorry for myself and had a little bit of a kind of identity crisis and um, mm. breakdown and stuff so i i ended up i started a, a my rock band which i still do now and it's called cpsd it's like electronic desert rock kind of stuff um, and i started that at the time but then various things just you know cut all my hair off i changed the way i looked i didn't pick up my acoustic guitar mm. ever I, I just i literally kind of went and lost the plot a little bit for a couple of years in trying to be something that that i wasn't mm. Um, I went back to a day job for a couple of years, obviously. Then the pandemic hit, um, which uh, actually gave me all of that back because (laughs) it sat me at home with nothing but my kids and my guitars and an awful lot of time to go, what the fuck are you doing, you know? Yeah. Grow my beard back out. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, we all know is where the power's kept is in the beard. It is. Um, it's all the songwriting is just kept there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speaking of which, Jody better stop messaging me. <laughs> all, all the time I'm trying to talk to you, I'm getting little buzzies from him. Dickhead. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then lockdown made two EPs. I think that's where we connected. Yeah, was I kind of came across you guys. I think I saw you playing the penthouse thing actually, uh, or something at the veterans garage first. I think I can't remember because they had the um, garage before lockdown, and I think yeah. I played something there first. As you say, it wasn't the one with the fiddle player. It was one where you were on your own. Yeah. Um, or was it? Because I think the first henhouse gig I did was with Sam Mundy, mm. and then I can't remember. I must have done son of the veterans garage, but I can't remember what it was. Mm. Because that was the first. That was the first time I came came across you in my feed, um, and then it was only after that I stumbled across Rogue and everything, yeah. and sent you a message going, oh, "I've got this coming out," you know, kind of thing. And then obviously we we chatted and and done stuff since then. Yeah, uh, yeah, because that's the thing. Because I was trying to remember how we first crossed paths, and it was through the Rogue Country thing. You were yeah. actually actually doing some fucking promo and messaging people. Well, this was it when I, uh, I could, this was when I, I did my first EP. 
and I was starting to kind of reconnect with who I was. And I don't know, it sounds very fucking dramatic and what have you, but it was just one of those things. I was starting to feel like myself again. Mm. I was starting to, I'd started chatting to people who I hadn't spoken to in, in a couple of years or people like Jordy from Fargo and, mm. and, and, uh, yeah, it was kind of just reconnecting all those dots that I'd, I'd kind of just cut off yeah. when I, when I kind of split up with the Hoodoo operators and, and went off the deep end a little bit. Um, so, it was just, yeah, as I was kind of coming out, I was like, oh, well, who, who's this guy? Oh, quite like that. Oh, he does this thing. Oh, this is, and it was just connecting yeah. dots, basically. And obviously, because there was so much time at home, because things weren't open for gigs or anything, I was actually just sat there going, oh, you know what? I'll send a message out. I'll do yeah. this. I'll do that. So I was actually doing promos. Now the world's reopened. I'm like, I don't want to be <laughs> sat on my phone unless I have to be. Um, but yeah, it kind of, and just things have kind of, built and got better for me mentally since mm. then um which lands me where i am now obviously the the latest album i do need to do more on promo i know i do but um, <laughs> i have a funny feeling we're going to be having this conversation for a long time <laughs> probably well, i think that is the important thing and that was what i think the pandemic gave me because obviously with what rogue country is and what rogue country was pre-pandemic like I, I i was i remember having this conversation with josh and it was like literally january february of 2022 before we knew what was going to happen i was like we need to do some online shit because you know gigs aren't fucking the be all and end all because we're at a level yeah. where we aren't making any money we're not really reaching anyone so we need to have an online presence that can actually connect people and mm-hmm. that's when we started looking at the radio show that's when i was starting to think about the podcast and then not luckily, but it kind of proved me right because the fucking world shut down in March. Yeah. And it was like, well, what the fuck are we going to do? And it was like, we just do what we've been talking about for the last like few months. Yeah. And it was that thing where it was just, we got to just like switch focus. It wasn't like, oh my God, music's over. It's just, oh my God, music's going to go in a different direction for a while. And yeah. that was the really cool thing to see us starting to connect with people like you and actually trying to build something like, online because obviously online isn't super real but it, no. it's still better than fucking sitting at home spiraling and it was yeah cool and, the, and the, i think the, the one thing with the with the online stuff is is i have the access to contact you know like my top listeners for my rock band are in argentina mm. you know if if you'd have put out the kind of shit that i do in 1991 i'd have needed a major record label yeah. to be able to reach those people that can now access it so for all the negatives that surround it there are also these great positives that you know you live birkenhead uh bedis's wales we got yeah. ash down in cornwall do you know what i mean like all of us that have kind of become friends through through rogue wouldn't have been able to we'd have had to have crossed paths at a gig yeah. and then how would we have kept contact without the internet you know yeah. what i mean it's yeah like, man because josh can't read all right so letters would have been out the window there you, there you go so you know we'd be sending some kind of pigeons or something like yeah. with I, I don't know yeah <laughs> but no it's a crazy man going on from so the first two eps was were there anyone or was there anyone that you were kind of influenced by or you were listening to that made you go the angle that you did with your songwriting and stuff because i i kind of in a reductionist way and it's kind of a compliment well it is a compliment but it's you know i kind of call you the uk's guy clark god bless you <laughs> which that's going in the bio <laughs> yeah, which you know i i use sincerely because i think you have that like gravitas and weight to your songs but you also have like a buoyancy that guy clark had he had that like it, not everything was so serious and dark mm. all the time. He still had that joy in him and that wit. And like, I think John Prime was the extreme of that wit, but I think Guy Clark, I think is the most that always resonates when I hear your type of stuff. Who was it that you were kind of listening to when you started writing those EP? Because going into it's a difficult world. Uh, probably the biggest influence in the weirdest way was nothing that I was familiar with before. It was... When Justin Towns Earl died, Mm. um, I saw the article. I'd never listened. I knew who he was, but I'd never listened to his music. Saw the article, 
because uh, obviously that was midst the, the pandemic, wasn't yeah. it? So it was literally, and I was kind of, I remember being sat at the kitchen table and just going, I should, out of respect, yeah. I should just have, have a little nosy, you know what I mean? Because this guy was like my age uh, yeah. and I'd never, ever checked his music out. Obviously, no Steve Earl knew, you know, who he was, but not his music. And then I listened to his, his pretty much his back catalogue for about three days, just mm. back to back. Um, and was like, holy shit, this guy's great. And kind of as digging through and watching the performances and 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 things on YouTube, because obviously that's the other great thing about the internet is you can see everything, you can yeah. find out everything about people in an instant, you know. Um, that was probably the biggest influence on getting me started mm-hmm. on those EPs. Uh, and the, the cover of the second EP is, so I, I tend to do like tribute, the covers are all tributes to other musicians. So like the first one I did is based on an old Robert Johnson yeah. picture. The second one is based on a Justin Towns Earl photograph. Um, and obviously the album, This Difficult World is based on Johnny Mitchell Blue. Um, but yeah, that was, that was kind of what those EPs wouldn't have been made without, sadly, without him dying. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because I don't, I don't, I'll certainly want to be made in that way because yeah. I think, the bare bones of his songwriting and stuff as I actually delved into, you know, like say his back catalog, he kind of just, it really clicked with kind of the way that I used to play with Hoodoo Operators and some of those songs. So yeah. it was, it was a real natural fit for me to then to kind of go, Oh, well I like, so it's like my whole picking style on guitar. I used to play with Pletchman all the time mm. until what, until watching Justin Townsville videos. And then I watched the way he plays and he's got, the same percussive thing that I always had with pick, but mm. he's got this constant bass thing going with his thumb. And it's like that started to, because I was sat at home and I was playing, I started to finger pick more. And and it's got to the point now where I, I really don't use a pick very much. Mm. The odd, very odd song live, dependent on the setting. Um, but yeah, I, I suppose that was the kind of the key thing that I can trigger in my head going mm. and then it was like a few, weirdly a few days later me and me and my other half went for a walk uh in some woods um and she took a photograph of me sat on like a log mm. i was just sat just on my phone and she took this photograph and, and then showed me afterwards and i went looks like an ep cover does that <laughs> and i just went fuck it let's make an ep hit and like that was earmarked as being the cover originally, I mean, it didn't use it ultimately. Yeah. Uh, but that photograph as well kind of sparked as much of the, the, the car idea came out of listening to the Justin Towns Earl stuff. But that photograph was probably the moment I went, actually, that looks like me. <laughs> and I've not looked like me for two years. You know, I was clean shaven. Yeah. I had smart haircut. I dressed all in black and, and like, I didn't look like me. And in that photograph, I looked like me. Yeah, no way, man. And that was kind of the trigger to to actually start making them. Um, and did you have any songs written before that, or was it like you were like, "I'm going to make an EP," and then you wrote songs for that? Uh, I had one song, "Late Night in Secure Blues." Mm. That was the last thing I wrote um, before I just stopped picking up my acoustic uh, when I was literally like in the worst kind of mental place, mm. you know, feeling sorry for myself, wrote that late one night as the name would attest. So that had been sat in my phone. Uh, and I think I had played out, with, played about with a couple of ideas early days. So mm. I kind of knew a bit of a structure, but I didn't really have like any of the guitar parts or the key that I was going to play in. It was just more of an idea of a song, yeah. but I had all the lyrics. Uh, I had that and I had one line to the song on the first EP that I wrote about when my dad passed away. Mm. Uh, and yeah, what kind of came out of picking the guitar up and playing, I, 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 remember I started with Late Night Insecure Blues. Um, and then I wrote, what's the, I'm Tired, mm. which was written literally about just missing playing, um, you know, um, kind of a bit of a Tom Waitsy kind of vibe. But even that, I had like a Delta Blues version as well that mm. I did because I had so much time. I was sat and I was messing around doing slide guitar and, and, and stuff, but ultimately went with the Tom Waitsy vibe. And then finished, I just wrote the song uh, about my dad passing 
came out in about 10 minutes when mm. that like that line had been sat there since since it happened basically in my phone mm. um and the whole song just came out of that line and it um so that gave me three <laughs> and then it was just it there was just like it was like floodgates just opened and mm. and you know various stuff came in and then because at the time i was i was so when I was furloughed, I was furloughed because I was back working for uh, my old day job because it was in healthcare. I um, I ended up back working like three months in. Mm. So I got like three months at home, got all this back up and running, did loads of stuff. But then I actually ended up back in work. And I was one of the guys that I worked with was like anti-vax, David Icke supporting like so really frustrating but out of that came conspiracy blues that yeah. started the second ep and it was just one of those things it's like there's a, the there's a tune called uh another prison blues on the first ep that was written about me just hating the day job that i'd had to go back to and i was literally stood having a cigarette on the roof uh where i was working and all the things of this prison story that's in there is about me feeling like I was in like this prisoner going back to a day job and, and, and stuff. So it's, yeah, all these songs just came out and then he just developed on from there really. Mm. Um, yeah. I uh, I'm trying to think what else is on them records. I haven't listened to them in ages. <laughs> and then obviously that went through into It's a Difficult World. And now you're looking, are you recording now or is it you've just got the songs at the moment you're going to be recording soon? It's funny because the track listed has changed. I've got, I thought I had the songs two months ago. <laughs> and since then, I probably wrote another four or another five. So it's like, constantly evolving at the minute and I day by day I've got the track list in because everything I do is worked on my notes and my phone yeah. so it, it means when, when I get the whim to write something I write it in my phone when I, you know uh, and I've got like a working track listing for the album mm. it's just my album too and I think it's pretty much every day I go in and change one out for something <laughs> else and, and, and so it's like I've got a couple of directions that I'm still not quite sure which way I want to go with the, the overall sound of the record Yeah, uh, there's part of me would really like to make like a a properly produced kind of because my EPs and my last album were done very much vocal and guitar live yeah. and then all the, the accoutrements added to it and, 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 and you know it jazzed up by the various people that played on them uh, Whereas I've kind of gone, hey, it'd be really nice to do like a real produced record, you know, like yeah. you listen to a Stapleton record and it's got all the lovely sonics and stuff on, on there, the, you know, and also there's no electric guitar really on my other records. And I mm. do, I would like to possibly introduce some of that. But then at the same time, I kind of go, but I really like the folksy and especially more, I've been listening to loads of Billy Strings and mm. like kind of, you know, that kind of bluegrassy elements. I, that was one of the things I always loved about Hoodoo Operators was the energy of the bluegrass vibe of it. Yeah. Uh, so at the minute for me, it's it's trying to get my head around, am I just going to do a record that has a bit of everything? Mm. Or am I going to do a record that's in one style and then yeah. save the other style for something else? Uh, and I think once I've nailed down exactly what style, well, it's going to be me, but what yeah. pre- no, totally. presentation of yeah. the songs I want it to be, that'll that'll be kind of then I'll finalise on what tracks I want to do. And I have been chatting to Liam that produced my album and, and I think I'll probably be doing it with him again just because I, I, I've known the kid for years. And, yeah. and he, he, he seemed to just really kind of nail what I wanted from the last one. Mm. And he's a killer bass player as well, so it's handy to have <laughs> as part of the team. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the songs are there. But then there's also the part because I think there might be a couple more in my head that just aren't quite out yet. Yeah. So I think I'll probably try and start it. I'm reckoning around January time, I think. Cool, um, man. I just want to give uh, give it chance to kind of, am I at a point where I've, I'm done with songwriting at the minute? Yeah. Because I go through these phases where I'll just, and I don't, I, I would never call it writer's block. But what I call it is right. I've no songs in there at the minute, and yeah. just when I'm em- when I'm empty, that's the time to try and get out the stuff you've written. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of provisionally in my head thinking starting that in like January, I think. Yeah, cool, man. I always try and like 
just draw a line under shit because I've got about 16 done. Mm. I'm going to do eight for the record. And I think I've picked the eight. But it is one of those things where, like, with the next life, because I had, like, songs coming out as I was starting to, like, write and be like, this is going to be the record. I was like, no, like, fucking from, I think I started recording in 2018, 2019. I was like, any song after that will be the fucking next record. So I draw, like, lines under shit. So any songs will be record three now that I'm yeah. doing now. Unless something really, really, really good pops up, but I, I doubt that. Well, that that was the that was the thing. It's a difficult world, the, the song was literally the last thing written mm. for the record. It was it was written literally the, the week I was going in to start tracking. I'd already recorded uh, it coming back this time because obviously I did the EP that I abandoned and stuff mm. and used that take. So that was kind of already going to be on the record. I, I kind of already had songs in my head, but yeah, It's a Difficult World was written literally the week of going into track. Mm. Uh, and the version that's on the record, I think, is about the second or third take of it ever being played all the way through, kind of thing. Yeah, nice. Um, so it's, yeah, it is one of the things that I have no doubt something else will come out. But I just, I try not to force it. I try yeah. to let it just, it's, it's like everything else. It, I try and just let it be as natural as possible. The record will end up sounding like it's supposed to sound. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, cool. No, exactly, man. But, we can't not talk about what's happening in a couple of weeks. This is coming mm-hmm. out on Monday the 20... What's the date today? 23rd. So this is coming out on Monday the 26th. So we've got a couple of weeks before, you know, our little mini tour. Of, 26th um, of... Oh, would this be out on 26th September? Yeah, this will literally be out on Monday coming. Oh, sick. Yeah, quick turnaround. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> friends. Uh, yeah, um, we've got... Uh, what have we got? Nottingham, Sheffield... Not- yeah, the 14th 15th and 16th of october but have you done because obviously you've been touring so if you did a few shows with grave dancer kind of mid that was june wasn't it that was yeah the, so I did, it was uh, meant to be january but it got pushed to june yeah i did five with him in june yeah and uh, have you done much touring because obviously with the pandemic and stuff it's kind of only really been last year going forward that you've actually got out to like play these songs and stuff I did. Uh, I did do a run with Willie T. Taylor. Yeah, you did Willie T. Taylor. Last year. Yeah. So I think I think we were out for because I I padded that. So I had four dates with him, but then I padded that with my own dates as well. Yeah. So I think we ended up doing a little run of about a week or so. Mm. Uh, and it was likewise with Grave Dancer. I think it started out being it started out being a week with mm. him, but then. I ended up just with gigs getting added and stuff. I think it was pretty much a full month. I ended up being... Yeah, I, I remember that poster just uh, stacked. But yeah, nothing was planned. So it wasn't like I was going town to town. It was like, go to this town, come home, get a gig off and go out. <laughs> kind of thing. It was, it was, yeah, it was bizarre. It's like, I think I played Sheffield more times this year than the rest <laughs> of my career going. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's... I like getting out. I mean, you know, the worst thing for me is that I don't drive. Yeah. Um, but obviously now I'm embracing sobriety. Hopefully, then I am uh, going to get on on top of that at 40 years old. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it kind of that's one of those things that I think needs to happen. Uh, just because it is, yeah, I, I love it. I love getting out and you know, it, that that weekend with those guys is going to be it's going to be cool because it's like you know all of us kind of getting together and actually like I think you described it like the hat one highway yeah. is kind of idea of that, that getting together with songwriters and just kind of chatting and playing and, and you know me and me and Jody do it quite quite a lot now because obviously I do bits and bats with Fargo and like I say I spend so much time in Sheffield um, but um, yeah I, I think I think it's going to be a really cool little weekend and it's going to be cool to meet Ash yeah yeah uh, for real in the real world um you know um yeah just get out and play some songs and see what people think yeah man no i'm really it might, it might be an absolute disaster it might it might be but i think the odds are you know it's not going to be as shit as it could be yeah <laughs> maybe the sadly because bedis is there but yeah but that that's the fun thing man because like the first time i met bedis was at a song right around we played devices hmm. down south and um it is one of those things and now kind of in 28 no that happened that was 20 january 2019 was when that was mm. um and it was one of those things where it's like songwriter rounds you kind of just get thrown together this is the first one where it's like we've known each other 
for long beforehand yes. so it's like it's more of like its own thing it's not just you know a few people who kind of know each other this yeah. is like people who chat you on a group chat on a regular basis are getting together to actually yeah. play songs and stuff and i'm really really looking forward to this yeah and uh, I've, I've only done i've done the round thing once uh and i, w- I was kind of paired up with a very very young songwriter who uh yeah, it 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 was my kind of stuff. Let's put mm, it that way. Yeah. And it was it was it was one of the things that was just like, there was no conversation there to be had. No, you can't. You know what I mean? You kind of, yeah. with all the respect in the world, it's. I think when it's going to be like minded people like like us guys, I think I think we're probably going to. I think it's going to be entertaining. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be entertaining. I think that's the thing I'm looking forward to. Is it's like. It, like that's why I was like liking it to the heart one how is it is a lot of songwriters who are gigging and stuff in their own right yeah coming together to just kind of celebrate the songs and have a fucking hangout and chill and just like have a catch up which I think is gonna be like the funnest thing and I'm thinking that's gonna be what like people like relate to when they come to it. it's gonna just be a fucking big hangout yeah I hope so uh I think it's 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 one of them things I like I like the kind of conversational aspect of, of live shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly when I'm doing the solo thing, I think there's time and a place for band things and stuff. But when you're just kind of bearing your songs, it's nice to have that kind of rapport with the audience. Now, if you can do that in a conversational sense on stage mm-hmm. and include the audience, then I just think it, it should be, it should yeah. be cool. It'll be fun. Yeah, no, yeah, it's definitely like the community aspect of like Rogue and stuff that like has shone through. And this is kind of, a real world showcase of that, which I'm really looking forward to. But mm-hmm. obviously, with obviously, you did the tour with Billy T. Taylor, you did Brave Dancer. What did you see? Were you expecting like a crowd reaction when you first started going out with these songs? Did you really know what you were hoping for or what you thought people might react like with these songs? It's going to sound really selfish, but I, I and I, I literally had this conversation with Jody because Jody was saying when he writes, he always writes with what the bar's going to do in mind. Oh, yeah. And, you, know, you know, when he's he's writing his songs, it's like he can picture, visualise how people are going to respond to certain things in his songs. Whereas for me, I, I'm just the most selfish songwriter ever. I'm like, <laughs> do I like it? And do I feel I can sing it over and over and over again? Yeah. Um, and I kind of, I was happy with the record. It sounded, I think, the happiest I've been with any of my records. Uh, that I was really happy with the way it, it sounded, I was really happy with, you know, everybody that played on its performance and the vibe of it. I was happy with the songs. I was happy to go play the songs. So it was, I didn't really know how people would react, but I also didn't, didn't, care. Really, didn't yeah. really care. And I know that's how I don't mean to sound like a dick, but the cool thing out of that was people seemed to really like, you know, the, the so many compliments on, on various songs, you know, on the record and, uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of criers this year as well. I, I know I play sad music, and I know I'm a bit shit, but but yeah, there's I literally last Saturday I played in Sheffield and and had another crier. <laughs> what, like, was it to ain't coming back this time? No, I have had I've had people cry to that one in the past. Uh, I did the one about my dad, which I, I very rarely play the song that I wrote about my dad, but uh, I did have somebody cry at that one once. Uh, the one was an old song of mine called "The Glow" that mm. I wrote about my next door neighbor, mm. which was actually it was a it was a Hoodoo Operator single uh, way back, but it was just me and a banjo on the on the single that we put out and a fiddle player, uh, and basically it was just I always tell the story about my neighbor and stuff before the song, um, and it was that one this week. But <laughs> yeah, I always kind of go, I feel I feel. Sorry for the person who's obviously identifying with whatever the sentiment is, but at the same time, it's like, oh shit, you're absolutely paying attention, you know? Yeah, yeah man, that gig we did at the Salty Dog was the first time I made someone cry with a song, and you you are like, fuck yes, like yeah. it, it yeah, is yeah, like because yeah, yeah. you you want to move someone. Way. Yeah, it's not you want to make someone cry, but you want someone to be paying attention, and you want someone to, to be paying attention yeah. enough that it moves them the way yeah. you wanted to move them when you created that piece of art. Yeah. I know I played when I was uh, depping with Fargo the other week. So it was like a private like birthday function mm. and finished the set. And 
there was a young guy came over and requested them to play the well, oh. which is what it, one of my favorites that they do. It wasn't in the set list because I'll be honest, Jody was hanging out of his ass, so I didn't want to sing it. Uh, but this guy said, no, no, you've got to play it. It really means a lot to him and told him afterwards about his relationship with his brother and stuff like that that related to why he loved the song. Um, and it's like those those instances, those are the ones that, that when I say, you know, if a song's good enough, it'll get where it's supposed to be. That's yeah. exactly it, it kind of showing itself in that the person that needs to hear that song at the right time will get it at the right time. And and if the song conveys the emotion or conveys the point across that's identifiable for the person who's listening to it, it's, you know what I mean? It's that's, that's the, the dream, isn't it? When you yeah. write something is that it'll connect with people. Yeah. That's the whole point of it. Yeah. And there we have it, folks. That was the mighty Chris Dover. Go check out his album, It's a Difficult World, right now. Then come hang out with us on October 14th, 15th, and 16th in Nottingham, Sheffield, and Bradford. It's going to be a completely different vibe to our normal shows. It's going to be so much fun, and we would love to see you there. We might even do some recordings of it for posterity. How about that? But yeah, until next time, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Go support the things you love. Go back Alex Connolly's Kickstarter, CM Prey. And yeah, keep supporting the things you love. Keep doing the things you love and stay safe. Till next time. Peace.